ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, Hulu Plus, Paramount Plus, Apple TV Plus. Aren't there enough of these pluses out there? Well, not yet. Yes, it's Lance and Matt Plus, a new podcast presented by WFOB and WBVI. Okay, now we've got enough pluses. So let's join Lance Morris and Matt Kaufman for Lance and Matt Plus. Welcome on into this edition of Lance and Matt Plus, a podcast heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and online through WFOB and WBVI.com. I'm Lance Morris. He's Matt Cobb. And Matt, how are you doing? Uh, it, it's 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 Matt McShay today. That That's the name you want to go with. We're going with Matt McShay. Okay. Today. We, we can, we can, we can roll with that. That's uh, I, I've been thinking about it since you, you suggested that I come up with a draft pundit name for today's episode. And we, we are going to go with Matt McShay. I'm feeling good about that one, but no, man, I'm doing great. You know, it, it's, it's April. We're almost into May. The sun is shining. Actually, no, looking out my window, it's cloudy and gross outside again. <laughs> I mean, the grass is green. Looks like some leaves are starting to come through. So, you know, get getting those little hints of summer is on its way, which means, you know, me as someone who enjoys a more colder, more temperate climate, it's about ready to absolutely burn throughout the whole <laughs> summer. But no, nah, man, it's I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good. I'm very excited about today's episode, though. We've got an absolute banger of an episode today course before we can get into all that of course rate follow review on your podcast platform of choice let us know you're out there you know hit up uh hit us up on social media of course uh twitter i'm at the lance morris matt cotman matt wfob just one t in cotman of course and yeah we've got a we've got a good episode on tap as you may have heard because you know it's about that time of year again we will have our Mac, our mock draft. I almost said our Mac draft. Well, I almost <laughs> want to call it the Mac draft. Just, every, every pick has to have some, Mac, some version of the word Mac in it. I, I would, that could be entertaining as well. But we will, in fact, have a mock draft with the NFL draft coming up later this week, and I will, uh, I will basically cede the floor to. Uh, I guess Matt McShay is how he wants to go by today, and we'll have uh, we'll have all that. We'll have who he likes, who he doesn't like, a whole lot more, a whole lot, uh, a whole lot to get into. But before we can do any of that, there's of course what we have to say on the front end, and that is this, Matt. You're an idiot. Know. You're an idiot, and you don't know the NFL draft. Because you know we have to, we have to get a Bruce Bruce one. Bruce Drennan needs to be dropped at some point during this broadcast. I mean, that's it's basically the law at this point in time. It, he he's practically our third host. I, I mean, just just to call it as it is, he's practically our third host on this show. So, God, we need to get him on. <laughs> like, I, I, you you have more sway and power on this one than. I would whatever contacts that we we need to get him on just like once <laughs> just one time and like make the last three minutes of the interview just him ripping us apart to have that as part of our broadcast queue but just that that may just be me that may just be me but I feel like we have to have him on because I feel like we either owe him a guest spot 
or money with how many times we dropped oh, no, no, that no, no, quote. No, 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 that's going too far. It's like one or the other. I haven't decided which one yet, so I'm leaning towards let's just get them on the I show think, somehow. I, I think a parasocial relationship, I think that's the way it should maybe stay with, with Bruce Strenner. <laughs> I can roll with that. <laughs> But I can I can work with that. But along with that, uh, I also put together another uh, great uh, great audio clip for you all, and that we uh, we actually teased this uh, on the uh, on the last episode we did that we had this in the works. We didn't want to unveil it prematurely, but I I in fact told Matt on the front end, Matt, this might be the funniest uh, clip that I've put together. And uh, he concurred by the amount of laughter he gave me after I played the sound. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I forgot about this. clip. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So for uh, for draft aficionados out there, you all uh, were if you don't remember, I'm about to give you a mini history lesson. And I think it was the 94 draft. Yeah, it it was it was 19. It's the Jeff George draft in particular. The pundits out there, and by pundits, Mel Kuyper, was projecting the Colts to take a quarterback early in the draft. They had two pretty pretty high picks. I think they were two in the top, like, six or seven, something like yeah. that. And oh, no, I'm sorry. The Trent Dilfer draft. It was Trent, Trent Dilfer okay. draft. That, I was going to say, yeah, Trent Dilfer. Jim Harbaugh was also uh, in that draft, too, I think. Yep. And Because uh, he ended up on the Colts. And Kuyper was saying the Colts needed a quarterback. And they took Marshall Falk with their first of the two picks, which he turned Won't out he, with. He, he turned out pretty good. There was no yeah. there was no debate there. But then I don't even remember who they took with the other pick, but they took someone that was not a quarterback. And that led to Kuiper ripping the Colts to shreds, their GM to shreds, their you know, upper management to shreds. So that uh, resulted in a uh, in a very it was essentially a viral clip before viral clips were a thing, right? What, what, possibly one of the best ESPN sound bites to ever occur because, uh, guys, every, guys, gals, folks, everyone listening out there, the Colts general manager goes out of his way to call out and belittle Mel Kuyper Jr. Now, it's very important to note. Mel Kuyper Jr. misses more than he hits. That, that is a very fair assessment of Mel Kuyper Jr. He does miss more than he hits. But this is one of those times that he got it spot on, <laughs> like absolutely nailed it with his assessment. And th- this general manager just absolutely rails on him. And it's great because Mel Kuyper responds then with no way for the GM to respond. Mel Kuyper just responds on national TV, just calling him out as well. It's, oh man, broadcasters, we all, and Lance could attest to this too, I believe. We all have that minor dream in the back of our mind that we say something that is such a hot take that it actually gets a direct response from people where they name drop us in a broadcast, in a interview, in something like that. Cause that means one, we are living rent free inside that person's head. Oh, it but was two. It was the fact, um, not to cut you off, JJ no. Watt responded to Stu Gotts the like last week, because Stu Gotts has been like making the joke, get some sacks, get some sacks, and 
then JJ's like, are we still doing this? And like, he, it was the first time publicly he acknowledged yep. Sue. And it was like, oh, he does actually know who you are. Yep. <laughs> and for Stu Gatz, in that moment, I mean, Stu Gatz has already made it, but you make it if that's it. If you are name dropped professionally by someone because of the takes that you're giving, yeah, you make it at that stage. So, yeah, we're going to play the clip here in a moment, but just you, you have to understand the important part here is that up until this point, Mel Kuyper was just this mega nerd that ESPN hired out because he put out his own draft grade book every offseason. He, he went out of his way, made his own book, made his own scouting reports for these guys. And he would just distribute them to whoever. I mean, you used to be able to get a Mel Kuyper scouting report for like a dollar kind of thing. like he, he was practically giving them away. ESPN brings him on board. And then this guy just makes him <laughs> an icon. So w- without further ado, Lance, my dear Lancifer, play the clip. I need this before we start our draft. Here is uh, my edit to the clip uh, was originally done uh, in a song by DJ Steve Porter. With the first round pick, put it. Matt. Who in the hell is Matt Cotman? Who in the hell is Matt Cotman? Put it. Put it. Matt. My neighbor has more credentials than Matt Cotman. And my neighbor's a postman. So good. I can't tell. I'm trying to hold it in the laughter just a little bit because I was, I couldn't breathe last last time I was laughing so hard. I had to excuse myself for a minute. Oh, man. See, that makes me so happy. Because <laughs> I've made it now. From a 1994 interview on a re-edit <laughs> by Lance Morris, I have officially made it. Oh, God. <laughs> I think there's, um, I think there's like a mini... YouTube thing on like the NFL Network's YouTube about like the day like the draft blew up and it was all about that back mm-hmm. and forth where because obviously in the regular clip he's talking about Mel Kiper not Matt Common and he's just, the guy's just like who, tragic who, who, why who isn't the? he talking about and he's me? just like who in the hell is Matt Cotman and it's Mel Kiper and it's no. just ripping because like you said at that point ESPN had hired him for his draft knowledge which he was like you said before that essentially giving out for free or close to free. And he then became the Mel Kiper. We all know of today. Who's been doing it since the eighties at some point. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Mel Kiper, he got his start in like the mid eighties or mid to late eighties when he started putting out his scouting reports and like draft reports every year. And then ESPN, I think that was only like his second or third year covering the draft with them at, at least part, at least on a platform like that yeah at, at least on an actual platform here's the crazy part i think you gotta really remember with him he didn't really get started covering the whole draft whole draft they used to only have him come in on day three back when day three was the fourth and seventh rounds and they just had him come in to, initially to be like filler for these oh, this random guy from Valparaiso gets drafted. What can you tell us about him, Mel? And Mel would have 30 seconds of content for him because he actually did the homework. So, yeah, oh, man. I think there actually is a 30 for 30 about when the draft blew up. 
I know there's I know there's one just on the eighty four draft with yeah Elway Elway and Marino. But I, I think there's one for ESPN when they talk about when the draft became mainstream and they do reference that particular draft. But the other big one that actually comes up because the draft has kind of always been it's always been like a football nerd paradise and a loser team paradise Super Bowl. But where it really took on some added weight was between 1996 and 1999. In 96, you had Jacksonville and Carolina enter the league, and within two years, both of them are in their championship games. And Jacksonville actually made it again in 1999. But then 1999, you had the Cleveland Browns coming back. You had this quarterback class that was supposed to rival 1984. Tim Couch, Donovan McNabb, Dante Culpepper, Cade McNown. Oh, man. Um, God, there's another couple that are missing on that one. But where it also became crazy was as the Ricky Williams draft. For those of you that have never played Madden football or <laughs> understand that Mike Ditka is possibly insane. <laughs> and by possibly, I mean beyond a resolute shadow of doubt, he is, he is absolutely out to the water levels nuts. <laughs> Mike Ditka traded the New Orleans Saints entire draft first through seventh round picks and then first through third round picks the following year to move up from like 12 to five to draft Ricky Williams. No, actually let me rephrase because the Cleveland Browns made that level of a stupid trade just a few weeks ago. (laughs) Very few teams make that kind of stupid trade. And when it happens, no one was really prepared for it. Now, again, that's really what kind of brought the draft to mainstream. But if you look in history, I would actually say the draft finally became mainstream with the Cowboys having their dynasty off of the Herschel Walker trade. Right. Because you could link everything directly back to that trade and those drafts, why they won all those Super Bowls. Because it led to like Emmett Smith. The, I mean, the list oh, of like yeah. Michael Irving, like all those guys, based, yeah, that, by and large, were because of that trade in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I'll say, I, I can actually pull it up super fast <laughs> because it's... I think, one, uh, I think what was it? Was Charles Woodson, I think, in that too? or maybe not, not Charles Woodson. Or, I'm you're, thinking you're of the close. other... I'm thinking of the other... Darren Woodson. Yeah. So the trade that they committed <laughs> the, tr- the trade that they got the Dallas Cowboys also received the following players Jesse they, Solomon they, they cut all those players like immediately though Jesse Solomon actually hung with them for a little bit okay they cut most of those players almost yeah, immediately they, they got Jesse Solomon Isaac Holt Darren Nelson David Howard and Alex Stewart Now, they were to keep the players versus the picks was the trade off that Dallas needed to decide. They actually got rid of most of those guys. Like I said, Jesse Solomon, if I recall correctly, was either him or Howard. It was the linebacker because Jimmy Johnson did like they did some sort of mini documentary on this, too. And Jimmy's like, oh, yeah, I was going to get rid of those players like immediately. 
Well, absolutely, because if he got rid of those players, they got more compensation picks and they got more contingent picks from Minnesota. The trade for Herschel Walker ended up being about nine draft picks by the time it was all said and done. But the key, the stars of those picks turned into Emmett Smith. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe. Russell Maryland, who was their key defensive lineman next to Leon Lett during their Super Bowl runs. Kevin Smith, who is a very solid defensive back, and Darren Woodson, who, correct me if I'm wrong, he's in the Hall of Fame, isn't he? Or is he not almost? I I think he's in the Hall of Fame. I would say he's either in the Hall of Fame or is going to be in the Hall of Fame here very soon. So, yeah, this is when when people talk about the the Herschel Walker trade. This is kind of the reason why and why it gets so important on draft day. And for Cleveland fans out there, this is why everyone thinks that you're kind of, you know, idiots for being excited about this trade. Because very often the people that make these kinds of trades, you end up being the Vikings. You don't end up being the Cowboys when you give away so much draft capital. Because you are hanging your hat on one guy versus having six guys that you could get potentially later on. So that's. If you want to know, that's where a lot of people, besides the obvious ones about the off the field stuff, that's why a lot of people give the Browns trade for Deshaun Watson a bad grade, like a steer below. Gave up way too much and gave him way too much money on top of it. So there you go. So Darren Woodson, not in the Hall of Fame, but he's been like on like the cusp of being in of like making he's been on the lists each of the last however many years he'll he'll he's, most he's likely close. be the, he'll be the next safety that gets in before um god who was i thinking of uh before like someone like an eric barry or something like that he'll probably be the next safety that gets in if i were to bet because uh, he, he's been a finalist several years that's why i thought he had actually right. gotten in already but yeah it's the the herschel walker trade is probably the thing that made teams take the draft a lot more seriously because they could see how quickly you can turn around a franchise if you draft properly. And then 99 with, with Foghorn Leghorn trading his whole draft for Ricky Williams, uh, that, that really made it mainstream. And, and that's not carousel. That, I was old enough to remember that one. I've been a fan of the draft ever since. That, that, that kind of madness is fun to enjoy every year. So, Yes. And draft. Well, tons of history. Here, here's here's the funny funny part about it is at that day and age, trading it all for a running back that let let's let's be honest, if he was allowed to smoke marijuana and cared about playing football for a long enough time, Ricky Williams would be a Hall of Famer. I'll take it a step further. I can easily make an argument for Ricky Williams to be a Hall of Famer right now. Yeah, even still. I mean, over 12,000 all-purpose yards over the course of his career. He was an all-pro two or three times. He led the NFL in rushing a couple times, like four-time pro bowler. And, I mean, in New Orleans, he was okay. But when he went to Miami, he was phenomenal in Miami for a good like three, four year run. So I, I could easily make an argument for Ricky Williams being a hall of famer, like down the line for himself. 
But yeah, I mean, shoot, if you if you let him smoke, let's just call a duck a duck here. The man ran for seventeen hundred yards, high as a kite, every day. Imagine what he could have done stone sober. And he stayed in college an extra year just because he liked college. Well, there's that. He was also, you know, within within spitting distance at that point of Tony Dorsett's all time rushing record. So, well, because he because they had made the coaching change to Mac Brown going into his senior year, and he was all set to not come back, and then he like he essentially met with Mac Brown, liked Mac Brown. And basically had a change of heart, like right as he was going to announce he was leaving. He's like, I'm coming back. Correct. Correct. Which was wildly unexpected because a lot of people thought it was going to be in the 98 draft that it was going to be a discussion between Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf and Ricky Williams. Right. And then with the attitude problems, even even with the attitude issues that he had, a lot of people were also thinking the discussion is Randy Moss. At that point, so it, it was supposed the '98 draft could have featured Peyton Manning, Ricky Williams, and Randy Moss. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, don't get me wrong; '99 got pretty nuts as well. It featured Donovan McNabb, um, Ricky Williams, Edgerin James, Champ Bailey, Tim Couch. Like, right? That's what Tim Couch. Tim Couch was number one. <laughs> Donovan McNabb was number two. You know, if you listen. To the Matt Cotman presents what if about the Cleveland Browns could see how that could have played out differently. <laughs> good, Not good, for nothing. Good Shameless good, plug there. Yeah, good plug. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that that year you want you want to talk about how a team can hit or miss spectacularly. Ninety nine is a great example because the first five picks were three quarterbacks and two running backs. One of those players is already in the Hall of Fame. I think another one is going to get in the Hall of Fame, possibly a third. But if you look at their careers, like immediately upon entering the league, you had Tim Couch, bust. Donovan McNabb. I could make an argument for him being a Hall of Famer. The way I view it, if a guy like Dan Fouts can get in, I think a guy like Donovan McNabb can get in. It's just as simple as that. Third pick was Akili Smith for Cincinnati. Who might have been a bigger bust than Tim Couch. Oh, definitely was a bigger bust than Tim. Akili Smith was out of the league by 2001. He was a colossal bust of a player. Horrible, horrible player. Number four was Edger and James. And then number five was Ricky Williams. Which it's... it's uh, granted, Edron James is a Hall of Famer, so he was right to have been picked where he was. But it's still crazy to think there was another running back picked before Ricky Williams. Right? Right? Like, that. that's, that's kind of one of those situations where you look back at, um, God, we even look back at players like for just Tom Brady, for example, that somehow he made it to the sixth round. Terrell Davis made it to the sixth round. Um, Khalil... I mean, Khalil Mack's not a good example because he was a top five, but you've seen small town, small school kids that have really gone on to do great things, be later round picks or get bypassed in the first round. Aaron Rodgers didn't get picked until 24. I mean, it's, you got to imagine if teams redid that draft, it'd probably be Alex Smith 
Aaron Rodgers one and two didn't matter if you needed or didn't need a quarterback in that situation still. So it's, that's what makes the draft fun. I mean, as, as we're going to be doing this mock draft and going through it, I do have like pro comparisons and stuff like that. And you can see why this becomes pretty fun for people to kind of evaluate, watch, pay attention to, because th- there's so many unknowns like for, for this year's draft, Garrett Wilson is considered by May to be an absolute lock as the best receiver of this draft. If he goes to a team that's run first and run heavy, he's not going to be statistically the best receiver in this draft. But let's say he magically gets picked by like New Orleans or the LA Chargers or a team that just chucks the ball downfield all the time. Yeah, he's going to go down as an all pro. What about Aiden Hutchinson? I, I mean, personally, I'm not that high on Aiden Hutchinson. I think he's a lot more hype and it's not going to end terribly well on his career, but a, a guy like him, if he ends up in one of those top two or three teams, does he still end up being a good player? Do you have guys that fall because of injuries like the uh, Odabo from Michigan who then go on to have Marshawn Lynch like careers or Willis McGahee like careers where they were injured coming into the draft, but end up having incredible careers. It's there's so much unknown. There's so much hype. There's so much optimism for all these picks and then of course there's the new york jets who boo every pick regardless of who it is (laughs) they draft zach wilson last year the pick gets booed it's like this is exactly the quarterback you guys wanted and they still boo him (laughs) so it's it's they they rejoiced for mark sanchez though they rejoiced yeah so you know what they might have been a little bit burned on that that's (laughs) that's fair they might have been Actually, I'm going to have a very, very, very hot take here. And this is a hill I am prepared to die on. Okay. I think if given a proper, genuine chance with a proper roster and organizational structure around them, I think Mark Sanchez and Tim Tebow would have been successful quarterbacks in the NFL. I feel like you've said that before. And I would take it a step further. I think Tebow, if he, if a Tim Tebow was in this year's draft, the way the NFL has he would changed, be, he would be probably the highest rated quarterback. I think he's a top five pick. Tim Tebow was a decade too early to the game. It's like Randall Cunningham that you had Randall Cunningham. He was considered a gimmick quarterback. But look at all the scrambling quarterbacks that came after him. Michael Vick was the number one pick of the draft. Donovan McNabb was a scrambler. Um, Lamar Jackson wins an MVP award. RG3. RG3. Exactly. It's you you have and you can even throw in Cam Newton, Colin Kaepernick. Um, There's Russell Wilson is a bit of a scrambler as well. Maybe not as much nowadays, but he was when he started his career. So it's uh, you, you look at these players that are like trendsetters that in the time I was like, oh, God, they're such a bust. Uh, again, I stand by it. I, I think if Tim Tebow's in this year's draft or next year's draft, I think he's a top five pick because no one necessarily cares about the mechanics. They care that he can get in the end zone, that you can run an RPO with him, that you can do a spread offense with him. No one wanted to run the spread with Tim Tebow because they thought that's a college gimmicky thing. Now the spread is like everyone's first 
first choice offense in the NFL. So that's the other part that's fun because there's some players in this year's draft where I'm like, I'm much more high on them than other people probably are because I think they're like two or three years early to where the NFL is going. So it's, it's going to be fun. That that's what makes this interesting this year's draft, especially I mean, good God, there's not a single clear cut number one pick. There's just, there just isn't. I, I, I was beating my head against the wall, figuring out who Jacksonville was going to pick. Thank God Vegas stepped in for me on that one. But that, that, that's the other part that makes it interesting. Sometimes there's a can't miss prospect. Other times it's a lot of really, really good guys or a can't miss prospect in a position that you don't need. What do you do then? So I don't know. Well, we, 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 we have waxed nostalgic about the beauty of the NFL draft enough. It is time for Matt McShay to get in here and give the 2022 official Lance and Matt plus mock draft. And speaking of that first pick that gave me headaches all week with the first pick in the NFL draft, I project the Jacksonville Jaguars to take Trevon Walker defensive end out of Georgia. Vegas puts him down as the clear cut pick top projection in the draft. Gotta absolutely love what he did. He went from a bottom of the first round to the top pick of the draft, and he did it in shorts. So here is the question with him, because personally, I am not as sold on Trevon Walker. I am scared he is more Vernon Golston than he is the pro comparison that I made, which is Nick Bosa. He has incredible upside on paper. His ceiling is a top five, top 10 edge rusher. But his floor is Vernon Golston, which is a colossal bust. So where is he going to end up? I don't necessarily know. I think Jacksonville could be a good landing spot for him overall because he's going to have Josh Allen on the other side as his running mate. And at the bare minimum, Walker's going to end up being a very good run defender. So if, if you want to have another pro comparison, think Jadavian Clowney. May not be the best edge rusher out there, may not be a double-digit sack guy, but he's going to take care of the run game on his side. So maybe a Jadavian Clowney, um, Olivier Vernon type of edge player. Not sure that's worthy of pick number one, but that's where all the money is going. Vegas usually isn't wrong. Trayvon Walker first overall. It's it's a little surprising at this point in the in the draft process that we a don't know for sure who's going to be taken number one because usually we have a pretty good idea if not like a one hundred percent idea. I, I mean, last year you knew by the end of the college football playoff it was going to be Trevor Lawrence, right? Same same thing with the year before you you knew it was going to be you you know um. God, who was it the year before? Burrow. Oh, Burrow. Yeah, thank you. So it's like you you, you knew going in. This year you don't. It, it could be five different players. And not only do we not know, if you had said, you know, prior to, I mean, I don't know how quite, quite how far you'd have to go back, but you would probably say either Hutchinson or Thibodeau as the pick as a different defensive end, and it wouldn't have been – Trayvon Walker, but at the same time, you look at how historically good Georgia's defense was, maybe not a bad idea to take a guy that was a part of that. 
I mean, look, it's George, George's defense was historic. Trevon Walker was a bit, a pretty big part of it. The catch with him is he was not a key part of it. He was good this year, but he just blew the doors off of the place coming in, looking like miles Garrett and running a sub four, five So it's Tre- Trevon Walker. If he ends up going number one, this will be the greatest pro co- combine like performance in history. Even more than Jamarcus Russell? Way more than Jamarcus Russell, because Jamarcus Russell didn't have the best combine. He had an amazing pro day. And already at that point, he was considered like top 10, top 15, just because of his howitzer that he had to connected to his right arm. So it's, it's interesting. I, like Trevon Walker, he's... He's going to be a mystery. He'll be a mystery, but then no mystery at number two at all. The Detroit kneecap eaters, otherwise known as the Detroit Lions, select Aiden Hutchinson defensive end out of Michigan. It's you, you bring the hometown product in. If he's there at number two, you don't, you don't think about it. You don't overthink it. He's Michigan kid played at Michigan. You go and bring him in. He's going to sell you jerseys. He's going to sell you tickets. More importantly than that, he does solve the edge rusher problem that they've had since they lost Ziggy Anza a couple years ago. I actually have for Hutchinson, I have him grading out somewhere around Shaq Barrett as an edge rusher. It's, is he going to have every single year, massive double digit sack years? Probably not. Is he going to be in the high single digits to double digit area? Most likely. Is he going to be able to completely turn that defense around? Absolutely not. Everyone else needs to get healthy too, but he is a great start. He's got star power. He's got charisma and he's the hometown kid. It it just makes sense for the Lions to go Aiden Hutchinson at number two, if he's still there. And he's certainly... He certainly uh, made his name known in the last, you know, handful week of weeks in the in the college football regular season with I mean, especially when you when you have the performance against Ohio State that he did, if people didn't know you before, they're going to know you after that. Absolutely. And again, it's he, he brings star power. Everyone knows who Aiden Hutchinson is in this draft. It's it's him, it's Kayvon Thibodeau, it's you know, you, you have a couple star names in this draft and Aiden Hutchinson is one of them. So for Detroit, it makes perfect sense. And honestly, what I like about that is it takes a little bit of the worry off of some of the next couple picks because it really clears up the board having Walker and then Hutchinson go one and two. So now we get to the Texans who, God, just if the Texans, I'm going to say this before I announce the pick, <laughs> the steal and fleecing that the Texans orchestrated getting rid of Deshaun McGrabs a lot in exchange for three straight years of first round picks. If they, if they're not in the Super Bowl in like five, six years, they've done it horribly wrong and Casario and the entire staff there have to go. It's just as simple as that. But now that I've said that I'm better. I'm, I'm learning to move on as a former Browns fan. But let's give you the pick for the Texans at number three. 
with the third pick in the 2022 draft, I have the Houston Texans taking Akeem Ikwanu, tackle from North Carolina State. So this one may not be a flashy pick. It may not be a sexy pick. Akeem Ikwanu, his pro comparison for me is Tristan Wirfs. Tristan Wirfs has given up one sack in two years and is arguably one of the two best right tackles, if not the best right tackle statistically in the NFL. You put Ekwanu on the right side with Laramie Tunsil on the left side. It doesn't matter who you have under center next season. They're actually going to be able to be upright enough that you might see what you get out of Davis Mills. You can actually figure out what type of running game that you have. He's big. He's strong. He's got great hand placement when you watch his film. But what I like best about him, his footwork is phenomenal for a big guy. So it's not like Mekhi Becton, who he's just like a road grader type of player. He's got good footwork. He can stay on his feet. He is very athletic for a person his size. So for me, yeah, Tristan Wirfs is a comparison, and I would bet all the money in my pockets. Anyone from the 2020 draft, if they could have a shot at Tristan Wirfs as their right tackle or left tackle before Tampa got him at 13, they, they'd take him now. So the Texans, Akeem Ikwanu, tackle North Carolina State, locking down that offensive line. And now we get into a uh, very New York-heavy uh, portion of the draft because yeah. between, between the Jets and the Giants, they have, uh, they have most of the next couple picks. I mean, what's re- really nice about this when we actually watch the draft later this week, all the insanity of the Jets and Giants fans will be done in the first hour. I mean, that's can actually just en- sit back and enjoy the draft at that point. But with the number four pick in the draft, we are ready. With the fourth overall pick, the New York Jets select Ahmad Sauce Gardner, defensive back out of Cincinnati. Pro comparison, and I think it's just a perfect one for him, is Patrick Sertan II. He's big, he's fast, he's tall, he's a great ball hawk, very lanky build. And what I like about Ahmad Gardner more than like Derek Stingley or Trent McDuffie or any of those are, he has no qualms about tackling. None whatsoever. And you saw him do the amazing magical thing that I always like when we talk about defensive backs, which is why I say Darrell Revis is not an elite defensive back. He can play man and he can play zone. Gardner can do both. He has the ability to do both. So for me, that moves him up the list dramatically. And he is a great, great pick for the Jets who need a lot of help in the secondary. So of course that begs the question, how do the Jets screw it up? Well, they're going to screw it up by clearly drafting a running back at number four. Let's <laughs> call it as it is. It's, I don't know, though. Honestly, I mean, we got to call it as it is. The Jets have actually had a pretty sane offseason. They haven't made a lot of stupid moves. I don't think they've made any stupid moves, truthfully. It, it, it seems like as soon as they got rid of the circus that was in there before Robert Sala and, the, and company took over, that, that they've kind of come to their senses a little bit. So th- there's a chance they could screw it up. I could see them going with like an edge rusher or something here, and that could really screw it up or reaching for a wide receiver at this point. That's another possibility. 
Or even worse yet, they could trade this pick to San Francisco for Debo Samuel, which <laughs> is just a terrible trade. And if they do offer that to the 49ers, the 49ers should even let them finish the phone call before they say yes. <laughs> if you could get top five pick for a receiver that just now became good, yeah, make that trade. Oh, my God. So that's how they could screw it up. I don't think they're going to screw it up, though. Uh, they could also go Derek Stingley here. Depends on who they have on their board is a little bit higher. I think he's a very good player, too. I, I just think Sauce Gardner, he, he's got something special about him. I think he's going to be one of those guys a few years from now we're going to be talking about as, even at number four, potentially a steal in this draft. Number five so, for the Giants. The, the G-Men, the fifth pick. We're ready. Let's hit it. With the fifth pick in the NFL draft, the New York Giants get to steal Kayvon Thibodeau, defensive end out of Oregon. I don't know like what is going on with him, how he's dropped from number one to some people even having him out of the top 10, even out of the top 15. The Giants are not letting him get past number five. It's, it's, he's, he will be gone by the fifth pick. There's no way they're going to let him go. Kayvon Thibodeau on paper is absolutely the top speed rusher in this draft for my money. He is great speed, great frame. He is a little raw. There's no gain around that. He is, he is a little bit raw, but I view him and I even have this in my draft notes. I have him as a, his floor is a poor man's Daniil Hunter out of Minnesota. His ceiling is a poor man's Miles Garrett. Because if he can put some muscle on his frame, he's got the strength, he's got the speed. That could be where he's at. I, I actually have his pro comparison as a Gregory Rousseau out of the Buffalo Bills, the Miami product from last year, where going into the draft, he was considered a top five pick, had a little bit of a down year. Suddenly he's available in the 20s. I don't think Thibodeau falls into the twenties. I think the giants take him here at five, but I'll tell you what, the, the giants would be very happy to be a poor man. If they can get a poor man, Daniel Hunter or miles Garrett with cave on Thibodeau. At six, this is where, this is where things could get a, could start to get a little nutty. It could, but I am trusting the Panthers to not overthink this. So I'm ready. With the sixth pick in the NFL draft, the Carolina Panthers select Charles Cross tackle out of Mississippi State. Carolina, listen to me. Listen to me right now. Do not overthink this. <laughs> A QB sounds good. A QB makes people happy. I don't think there's a single day one ready QB in this draft. I just don't you are going to reach on a quarterback at this point as well in the top 10. There is no top 10 quarterback in this draft. If you're drafting a quarterback top 10, you are telling me that is one of the 15 to 20 best quarterbacks in the NFL. None of these guys are there yet. They have the potential to get there. They're not there yet. You need to fix that dumpster fire of an offensive line that has cost you Christian McCaffrey two years in a row that turned Sam Darnold into a punching bag 
that somehow got Cam Newton more hurt when he returned? Question mark. Didn't know that could happen. And the fact of the matter is, if you are really that hard up for a quarterback, Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo, still out there for trade value. And you'll be able to get them on the cheap because they've been holding on to them too long. And a lot of quarterback positions are set already. And if you don't want to go for one of those guys, wait till next year. CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Grayson McCall. There's like three or four others could easily be top 15 players. And frankly, if you don't have a good quarterback this year, you'll be back in the top 15. So you'll get your choice of any one of them. For my money, though, Charles Cross, I do actually view him as the most complete tackle. I love Akeem Ikwanu. I'm a big fan of Evan Neal. I think Charles Cross comes in as the most ready to play any position on the line. So for Carolina, if you want him to be a tackle, have him play tackle. If you want him to be a guard, have him be a guard. I wouldn't waste him at center, but he could probably play center. The point is, you need to address the offensive line. You need to build the foundation before you go and buy the house. So build that foundation, get Charles Cross. He will be a solid lineman for you for a decade. His pro comparison, I actually have him comparing to Jack Conklin. I think that's a very fair comparison for him. Then we go right back to the Giants at pick number seven. Who are we looking at this for this one? Hit, hit me with that music. The run of offensive linemen continue with the seventh pick of the draft. I have the Giants taking Evan Neal, tackle out of Alabama. So th- this one can get interesting because Evan Neal is one of the four players allegedly in play for the first overall pick of the draft. So those top four, those four players, so everyone is aware, it's Evan Neal, Kate, um, Ahmad Gardner, Aiden Hutchinson, and Trevon Walker are allegedly, according to Vegas and multiple sports insiders, the four players that Jacksonville's considering at number one. But if Neal isn't taken at number one, I think he drops to the Giants. He is a very solid tackle. He is not flashy. He's not over the top. I will say he's probably the most pro ready because of having to play in Alabama. But the thing that I like most about Evan Neal, I think you could play him anywhere on the line as well. So you don't necessarily have to move Andrew Thomas from the left side. If you don't want to, you can keep Evan Neal on the right side, keep Andrew Thomas on the left side for the blind side for Daniel Jones. But with Evan Neal, he is such a good run blocker. I'd like to see a little more punch from him but he's really going to help Saquon Barkley in a contract year. Now, Saquon Barkley going to still be a giant by the end of the draft. I don't know. I personally foresee a bit of a trade going on with the giants and with a team that plays on the West coast of Florida, who still kind of needs Isha running back, even though they re-signed Leonard Fournette, but that's just me. And I'm kind of crazy and also a big Saquon Barkley fan. So I'd like to see him on my team, but In the event that they don't trade him, Evan Neal is exactly the type of tackle that Saquon Barkley needs and Daniel Jones need to keep them upright. Pro comparison for him, again, not a flashy guy, but just a good, consistent, steady player. I compare him to Russell Okun in his prime. The Falcons at number eight. Okay, yeah, Falcons, go ahead, hit me with that. I'm already ready. 
the, the Falcons have to go offense. And with the eighth pick of the draft, I have them taking Drake London out of USC, the wide receiver. It's big news flash for everyone in Atlanta. Kyle Pitts is not the Messiah. Just, he's not. He's good. He's very good. Thousand yard tight end. Only one touchdown all season. That's a bit of a problem. He's a very good tight end. Calvin Ridley is going to be gone at least a year, possibly for good, though, if they trade him or cut him. The running backfield is led by Cordero Patterson. A former wide receiver. A former wide receiver. Atlanta, please, for all that is holy, give Marcus Mariota something to work with. Draft Jake London. His pro comparison is Julio Jones. Don't you want another Julio Jones? Julio Jones worked out very well for you for many, many years. Go get the next Julio Jones. Drake London is a phenomenal player. His range is ridiculous. His vertical ability, uh, truthfully, I think by the time he gets to his prime in the NFL, I think the only person that could compare with him on -on one-on-ones for like jump ball situations is going to be Mike Evans. That's it. Uh, That's a very short list for my money. So yeah, Atlanta Falcons, number eight. It's, I think it's going to be Drake London. They may be tempted to go Garrett Wilson, but I think since Calvin Ridley may potentially come back, Garrett Wilson, Calvin Ridley kind of are similar types of receivers, but they need another big body to go up with Kyle Pitts to get balls in the end zone. So Drake London at number eight. If in fact, Drake London is the next Tulio Jones, as some, including you are kind of possibly alluding to, shouldn't he be a higher pick than number eight? He should, but it's his ankle. It's entirely his ankle. I, I mean, if, if he had a fully healthy season in USC last year, played the whole year, no ankle injury whatsoever, the same type of ankle injury that can be consistently a problem for receivers over the course of their career. I think we're talking about a Keyshawn Johnson situation where he goes number one. I I really am that high on Drake London. I think he could have been the number one pick in this draft. I think Jacksonville would have taken him even with the money they threw at Christian Kirk. You you don't get six foot four, 210 pound guys who run sub four, five and have a 40 plus inch vert every day. You just don't. That's it's Julio Jones. Randy Moss, Mike Evans. The, I, I can easily say for all three of them, they're probably going to be Hall of Famers. Randy Moss already is one. So it, it's such a narrow list for that one. So the, if, if it weren't for his ankle, I think he would be top two, top three, if not number one. So yes, I, I'm I'm very very th- this receiver class I am so extremely high on. It's the 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 player comparisons I make. I don't think there's a single one where I don't have them compared to one of the top ten receivers in this league. So if if you're looking for a receiver, a defensive back, linebacker, or interior defensive lineman, I think this is the draft for you. If you're looking for line offensive lineman, it's a very I think it's a little bit more of a top-heavy draft. If it's a quarterback, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. <laughs> this is a Geno Smith draft. I'm just going to call it as it is. You're not going to find a lot of extreme success right off the bat. You can groom them to be good, but you're not going to find a superstar in this draft. Running backs, it's a little bit of a down year. 
safeties outside of Kyle Hamilton and maybe Jalen Pitchery from Baylor, a little bit of a down year too. So it's no re- receivers. They're going to be the star of this draft this year. Number nine, we have the Seattle Seahawks who of course made uh made one of the big offseason moves of uh, moving on from Russell Wilson. What are, what are they looking to do? So with the Seahawks hit me. The Seahawks will be at number nine, starting the rebuild of the Legion of Boom by drafting Derek Stingley Jr., cornerback out of LSU. Only thing I can think of for Stingley is the same thing for Drake London. This kid was number two or three in the draft throughout the whole season, gets dinged up, maybe not 100% for most of the year, kind of has a bit of a down year. Suddenly, people are talking about him being out of the top 10, top 15. When you watch film of him, he's Richard Sherman. Like, Derek Stingley Jr. is such a Seattle Seahawks defensive back. I'm surprised he's not already with the Seattle Seahawks. And that this is somehow like a weird supplemental draft thing or an expansion draft that he's somehow available. It's He fits their style so well. So I really see it being a good fit. I actually have it as a fit in terms of his health. If he is healthy, Derek Stingley with his range and ball hawk skills is going to be a top two or three candidate for rookie of the year with going to Seattle. I think he will be that talented for them. We go back to the New York Jets for the 10th pick to round out the top 10. And I think the 10th time for them, too. My God, we've been talking about the Jets a lot already. (laughs) Go ahead, hit me. With the 10th pick, the New York Jets select Garrett Wilson, wide receiver, Ohio State. If you ask me, Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson, I don't remember the name of the GM in... I think it's Joe Douglas or something like that. That's in New York right now. That sounds right. He could take the rest of the weekend off. You just crushed it. If you end up with those two Um, for, for my money, he is the best skill player in this draft. I actually have him ranked number two on my big board. I think he is the best overall offensive player and best skill. Well, not offensive player. I'm sorry. Best overall skill player in this draft. Cause here's my notes. Catch radius that defies physics, leaping ability that's an insult to gravity. Wilson has all the tools to be the next elite wide receiver, joining Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and the last two drafts to become the elite receiver in the NFL. He gives Zach Wilson immediately a wide receiver one that frankly should also prove if Zach Wilson is the guy or if he's going to be a bust. Because if you can't succeed with Garrett Wilson, you're not going to succeed. His pro comparison, just to call it as it, I have him as Devontae Adams. That's how high I think of Garrett Wilson. I think he is going to be Devontae Adams in the NFL. That complete overall package type of receiver. Now, the question I'm sure you're about to ask, if I'm that high on him, why isn't he higher on my board? Correct. Because Atlanta doesn't need Garrett Wilson. They need the height. They, that's the type of offense they run. That's the type of players that they have. You have Arthur Smith there who was running with guys like Corey Davis. I know A.J. Brown is short, but also 
for a while having really tall tight ends, very rangy wide receivers. Carolina's got fast wide receivers. The Giants just drafted Kadarius Toney. He may be on the block, but he's most likely going to still be there. Texans, Texans admittedly could be in play, but I think they have a bigger need at tackle first. And would kind of like to hope that a receiver is available at 13 between Garrett Wilson and Drake London. The Lions, it's you, you just have to take the Michigan kid. And Jacksonville, I would tell them to take. <laughs> I would tell them to take Garrett Wilson. But they just dropped $90 million between Zay Jones and Christian Kirk. So they're probably not going to be in the market for a wide receiver. So because of that, the Jets get an absolute steal and are able to get Garrett Wilson, who, again, for my money, he is the best offensive skill player in this draft. I have the number one player in this draft actually being Akeem Ikwanu is my top overall player, but Garrett Wilson's my number two. So yeah, it's, it's an absolute steal. I think in the Jets system, he could do very, very well. I think you put him in any system outside of the top 10, like teams in this draft. I think he's an elite player regardless. So Garrett Wilson at 10 absolute steal for the Jets. Number 11, we go to the Washington Commanders. So nice to be able to say their name again. <laughs> Instead of being like, oh, yeah, the Washington football team. That was so... Now that that's done, let's all agree that was stupid, and they should have just changed the name in the moment. But that's not important. I got their pick. Let's do this thing. With the 11th pick in the draft, the Washington Commanders select Jamison Williams, wide receiver from Alabama. Whoa. Oh, yeah, I went there. Washington has been doing their homework on quarterbacks in this league and in this draft. No one is genuinely convinced that they're not going to try and trade for their quarterback. More importantly than that, the way the draft has been trending, you could take a quarterback round one. But for, as of right now, just to give an, an understanding of where I have the draft going, in the top of the second round, you're going to have Malik Willis, Carson Strong, Matt Coral, and um, the kid, like the Zap kid from Central Michigan or Western Michigan, wherever he's at. They're all going to still be there. Those were all guys with first round grades going into this draft. You don't need to reach for a quarterback unless you absolutely want the number one quarterback. But what's important to remember is what I said earlier. I don't think there's a day one ready quarterback in this draft. So Washington already has Taylor Heineke or Heineke, whatever his name is. They have a decent backup they can go get another quarterback in a trade or someone in one of the later rounds if they want. But can you imagine with whoever they have as quarterback, Terry McCollin, Curtis Samuel, and then Jamison Williams with Antonio Gibson coming out of the backfield for them? Gee, do you think someone in Washington watches a lot of Buckeye football? Well, there's that too. <laughs> there is that too. But the, the, the fact is, I, I you could build an elite wide receiver core there. 
where each piece is complementary to the other. Curtis Samuel is a great slash type of receiver. Terry McCollin is a great all-around receiver. Jamison Williams, he can take the roof off of the building. I have his pro comparison. He's Jalen Waddle. And you saw how successful Waddle was in Miami this year. So I think it's a very good comparison and a good matchup that if you get Washington to take Williams, maybe sit and take like a Carson Strawn or a Matt Coral in round two, you have a great draft. You get the quarterback and you can develop the quarterback if you want, or use his trade bait and go get like a Jimmy G or a Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask from Tampa or Teddy Bridgewater from Miami. I mean, you can go and do that as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm going a little wild card there. Jamison Williams, wide receiver, Alabama. Okay. Okay. We have uh, the Minnesota Vikings at pick 12. Go ahead. Hit me with it. Yo, before I actually give this pick, can I keep it a buck with you? Sure. This may have been the hardest pick I came up with. Okay. Because on paper, the Vikings are fine. I I mean, seriously, they drafted Christian Darisol last year. He's going to be a very, very good left tackle for them. They got Jefferson the year before that. What was that? They got Jefferson the year before that. They had Justin Jefferson. They still have Adam Thielen. They have Dalvin Cook. Is Kirk Cousins a playoff pariah? Yes, but there's enough players around them that they should be able to eventually win in spite of Kirk Cousins. But they even drafted Kellen Mond last year if they want to go with a new quarterback. The, the defense is still pretty solid overall. But like seriously, like the only spot I could think of a need for them is defensive back. So I actually have them going with Trent McDuffie, defensive back out of Washington. Because you have all those things going, but maybe the one thing that's missing is that Cortland Finnegan, just nasty, mean defensive back that's going to come up and smack you in the mouth, while at the same time being able to pick the ball off and run it back for a pick six. So that's where I'm going with Trent McDuffie here. I, I would also say this is a prime candidate going into it for everyone listening. Minnesota is a prime, prime, prime candidate for a team that wants to reach on a quarterback to trade up. That would not surprise me in the least between, and just to be candid out of the top 12 teams, Minnesota, Atlanta is a good possibility. And that second pick with the giants, I think those three are your best bets to see a team move in to reach on a quarterback. But for the sake of this mock draft, I have them staying pad at 12. Trent McDuffie, cornerback out of Washington. At 13, we have the Houston Texans back on the clock. Yes, we do. Could have been the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns could have been walking out of this draft with Chris Olave at this point. That's a good day at the office, if you ask me. But it's okay. We it's okay. It's okay. it's okay. We're not Browns fans anymore. That's true. I'm still salty, though, because I live in Cleveland. I have to hear this nonsense all the time. But it's okay. It's okay. No, we didn't want six draft picks or anything. While while we're talking about it, I still haven't gotten anything from the Jags. Well, you know what? We've already figured out your team. It's okay. I know. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's that's a little salty on their part, but that's not important. If that does happen, if that does change, we'll uh, we'll let you know. 
Anyway, pick 13. Go ahead and hit me with it. So the absolute roadside robbery continues here for the Houston Texans. And at pick number 13, they get to take the best defensive player I have on the board, which is Kyle Hamilton, safety from Notre Dame. Which I'm sure makes your fiance happy that I'm saying a Notre Dame player is the best defensive player in this draft. After the vicious assaulting that took place last year over JOK. But and look how good JOK was. And look how right I was that 32 teams passed on him almost twice. I was vindicated, so was she. That's not important. What is important, though, is Houston being able to handle the offensive line. Could this be wide receiver? It could. But you got to think of it this way. Who's their new head coach? I'm checking the notes right now. And it says Lovey Smith. Holy hell. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, it's not important. Kyle Hamilton, though, is a great fit for that kind of defense because he can play in the box. He can play back. You can move him around a little bit. He very much reminds me of Harrison Smith, another Notre Dame product, but also another elite safety in the NFL. I really think Smith Hamilton has the potential to be a top five, top 10 safety in this league. And as much as I disagree with Lovey Smith being the head coach, he's a phenomenal fit for that system. So I've, uh, I, I watched not quite as much Notre Dame as I did Ohio state, but it was, uh, it was certainly number two on the teams that I watched all season. Notre Dame's defense was very, very different when he was not on the field. And that was precisely if you, if you need more of a, a sample than that, Grandy was only out, you know, a chunk of the games. He didn't miss all season. He didn't, you know, he, he played most of the season, even, even with that. I think that is tr- to me, the only reason he even falls this far. It is. Well, and honestly, the biggest reason he falls this far Look at the teams in front of them. Minnesota, they have Harrison Smith. Washington Commander, Commanders, they have some pretty good safeties. The Jets, decent safeties. Seahawks, they have Jamal Adams. Falcons, they had Keanu Neal, but they've had some good safety since then as well. Giants just got rid of Logan Ryan, but they still have guys like Landon Collins. The Panthers have Jeremy Chin. The Lions... Admittedly, the Lions could go Kyle Hamilton at two, but Aiden Hutchinson's there. Jacksonville spent a lot of money in the last two years on safeties. It's the only reason he falls is because of the teams ahead of them at that point. And it's other needs have stepped up because of free agency and just their personnel. So, yeah, you know, had this been two months ago, Hamilton's probably in the top three or four. But for now, falls to 13, and it's going to work out for him. It's a very good fit for him in Houston. And number 14, one of your favorite teams, the Baltimore Ravens. Okay, just let's get this over with. Yeah, with the 14th pick in the draft, the Baltimore Ratbirds select Jordan Davis, defensive lineman from Georgia. Pro comparisons, Vita Vea. You gotta be more excited than this. No, I'm not. I'm not excited because, you know, I may not be a diehard Browns fan anymore, but I still hate the Baltimore Ravens. 
that will never change. That's in my soul. That's ingrained into my existence. So to give the Ravens their own version of Vita Vea as a run-stopping, nasty interior defender who is extremely athletic, fits their defense to a T, and is probably going to be one of the premier interior defenders over the next decade along with Vita Vea, that just bothers me. Okay, I wanted to say for the 14th pick, they take nobody and they have to like it, but I can't do that, Lance. So, yes, I'm going to be a little salty, giving them a perfect pick in Jordan Davis. Just move to 15. (laughs) Okay, sure. Let's go to 15. At 15, we have the Philadelphia Eagles. On a side note, all seriousness, Jordan Davis, very I don't think he's going to end up being an elite pass rusher. That's not his game at all. He's not going to be one of those guys in the middle. Vita Vea, Sheldon Richardson, one of those guys who takes up two or three blockers and can somehow still get the running back. I think that's what's going to work out for him. But where he fits perfectly is the fact he's going to open things up for those pass rushers, like the guy they drafted last year, the linebackers like Patrick Queen. He's just going to make that defense better. But anyway, 15th pick, Philadelphia Eagles. Hit me. As much as I hate the Eagles as well, I'm, I'm going to be nice to them too. With the 15th pick of the draft, I am giving them probably my favorite linebacker in this draft, Devin Lloyd out of Utah. I think Lloyd, and honestly, I said this a little bit ago, I'm like very deceptively high on this year's linebacker class. I really am. I I think with Devin Lloyd, you get speed, great tape. He has got just a classic linebacker frame. So he should fit well in Philadelphia's defense. But what I like best about him, you watch those Utah games. How many of those games was Devin Lloyd with like 13, 14 tackles? Because he was just doing it by himself, basically out there. So Devin Lloyd He's a very good all-purpose linebacker. My pro comparison for him is actually Darius Leonard out of Indianapolis. Now, I, I think he can be that type of do-it-all player for the Eagles that their defense honestly has needed for a while because that team could be very good. They do not have a sideline-to-sideline linebacker, though, and I really think Devin Lloyd fills that void. Number 16, the New Orleans Saints. So I am happy to go with this one already ready. And officially at the halfway point of this draft, too, with the 16th pick in the draft, the Saints select Chris Olave, wide receiver, Ohio State. He should be a Cleveland Brown, but that's not important. His pro comparison is Adam Thielen for me. Because when you look at Chris Olave, what the notes that I have here for for New Orleans, if at first you don't succeed, just draft an Ohio State player. That seems to be what the Saints do between Michael Thomas, Malcolm Jenkins over the years. But the thing is, Michael Thomas, he has like fallen off of a cliff in ways I, I can't fathom. Alvin Kamara is doing way too much on his own. And the fact of the matter is there's a simple solution to this go get a better Michael Thomas. Chris Olave, he's got the speed. He has the catching range, route running skills. He's a perfect fit for whoever they have at quarterback. I say whoever they have at quarterback because 
My money's still on Jameis Winston being their starter, but depends on who's there in round two. I, I think if you see Carson Strong there in round two, I see them pulling the trigger and gaining themselves another pocket passer type of quarterback. But at 16, Chris Olave. All right, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We are now on the LA Chargers, and I have some thoughts as a new Chargers fan. Yeah, I'll bite. What are your thoughts? So in my dreams and my hopes, I want them, depending on how things shake out, I want them to take either Chris Olave and add to their receiver core or take one of the Georgia defensive tackles that may or may not be left in Jordan Davis or Devontae Wyatt. Obviously, two of those guys are gone in this theoretical world of your mock draft. I just well, wanted, the, to, I wanted to be known on the front end. Those are the people I was looking at. Well, go ahead and hit me with the music, Lance. Because you and I were on the same page with the 17th pick in the draft. The L.A. Chargers select Devontae Wyatt, defense alignment from Georgia. So there you go. You got your guy. In this, you get in this your theoretical guy. world. In this theoretical, well, I, I don't think it's really that theoretical. I think Devontae Wyatt's going to be their pick. You look at the way the draft's shaking out. I think Jordan Davis, just on star power alone, is still going to go ahead of Wyatt because Wyatt's a little bit more of an unknown commodity on that one. But to use your line, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Devontae Wyatt is better than Jordan Davis. <laughs> By a wide margin, my pro comparison for Devontae White is Fletcher Cox. I, I think he can be a complete three-down defensive lineman for you. Uh, he really can be. I mean, he's got potential. And I'm, I'm just going to call it right now. The free agency that they've had, the drafts that they've had, if the Chargers aren't in the Super Bowl in the next three years, I, I don't know how they couldn't be. Like, it would. I'd be so confused how they didn't make it. And honestly, for Devontae Wyatt, he's one, he's probably my top pick for defensive rookie of the year. Just to be perfectly clear. So I'm, in a moment here, I'll explain why. As I had to cough off mic for a second. Out of all these other defenders, he gets running mates of Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Kenneth Murray at linebacker, and then Derwin James as his safety, with now J.C. Jackson as his def- his corner. Devontae, what? They're, they're going to Indomitian sue him. Just tell him, go get the quarterback. Don't worry about the rest of it. We'll figure it out. And he's got the skill set to do that. So I personally, again, I think he's got more upside than Jordan Davis does. I think he's a more complete package than Trevon Walker is. And I, I, I think by the time it's all said and done, he may have the better career out of the three of them. So, yeah, Devontae Wyatt, defensive lineman out of Georgia. Pick 18, the Philadelphia Eagles back on the clock again. Well, Philadelphia Eagles were on the clock. And then they traded to the Nor- – I'm just kidding. They, they did a little trade back and forth where the Saints dropped back a pick. But it doesn't matter because I don't have the Philadelphia Eagles making this pick. That's right, folks. Matt Cotman's mock draft, or Matt McShay's mock draft, rather, has a trade in it. Lance, cue the dramatic music. Uh-huh. Close enough. 
close enough. So, quick update. The Philadelphia Eagles have made it no secret that they do like having two picks, but they are also open to trading that second pick to teams that might be looking at a quarterback. Maybe teams that had a rough season this past year, even though they just traded for Jared Goff. Maybe a team like the Detroit Lions who trade 30 pick 32, a third, a fourth, and a fifth in next year's draft in exchange for pick 18 and then pick 237 from the Philadelphia Eagles. And at that point, the Lions finally crack the under center ceiling in this year's draft. Hit me. With the 18th pick in the 2022 draft, I have the Detroit Lions taking Desmond Ritter, quarterback out of Cincinnati. So, yes, this is me finally putting my flag down in the turf on this year's quarterback class. I actually do think Desmond Ritter has a chance to be the best quarterback in this draft. I think on paper he already is. Malik Willis is a very, very close second. Do not get me wrong for anyone out there who's a big Malik Willis fan. I'm a big fan of his too. I think he's a very fun player to watch, very dynamic. He's just still too raw and playing at Liberty and not having a great year while playing at Liberty gives me a lot of concern. Ritter has been very steady for four years in obscurity at Cincinnati and then had a solid year this year. Now, I mentioned the Saints earlier by saying whoever is under center. Does Jared Goff survive this trade? Truthfully, I don't think he does. I think he ends up being either a New Orleans Saint, a Carolina Panther, or a Houston Texan by the end of draft weekend. I really do. Because the Lions actually have a relatively decent team up there. You got Taylor Decker, Penny Sewell as your two tackles. DeAndre Swift is a very up-and-coming running back with the team. Maybe not the greatest wide receiver core in the league, but a decent one. You got a good tight end with Hawkinson. The defense has some good pieces if they can stay healthy. You added eight, Aiden Hutchinson. Go get the Ohio kid and Desmond Ritter be your quarterback. He's big, has athletic ability. I actually have him for his pro comparison. I think he's Ryan Tannehill. I think he is a Ryan Tannehill type quarterback who for all intents and purposes, Tannehill may not be a top 10 quarterback in the league, but certainly top 15. If you and I were to make a new top 10 list or top 15 list on that one, he's certainly in the discussion there. So you go get Desmond Ritter, maybe a trade Jared Goff. Maybe you let him learn for a year behind Goff. Personally, I think for the Lions, out of all the teams out there, they have enough of the pieces already in place that if they want to play a rookie quarterback, they could. It just really depends on who they take as their rookie quarterback. For me, I think Desmond Ritter, best quarterback in the draft. I have them going with him at 18. I don't have a full top 10 list ready for you, but I can tell you the top four quarterbacks in the NFL. Number one is Justin Herbert. Number two is Patrick Mahomes. Number three is Russell Wilson, and number four is Derek Carr. So really just the AFC West. Yeah, that, that was that was the joke I was going. That's just the AFC West. 
You're so funny. I know. God, he's such a charger stand all of a sudden. I'm not <laughs> sure how to feel about this. <laughs> like, who would win the quarterback fight? Dan Fouts or, Kent or Justin Herbert? Oh, that's a tough one. Hold on. Hold on. The ball's being caught by Antonio Gates. Oh, now you really got me stumped. <laughs> LaDainian Tomlinson just ran away. LaDainian Tomlinson, he was so good. I loved watching LaDainian Tomlinson. God. And Sean Merriman just uh, just uh, danced on you. Well, Sean Merriman may have done that, but then someone told him to go take a test, and suddenly he was out of the NFL. Nah, so. <laughs> All right, ready with pick 19. Just before we get to 19, so do you have the Lions now? Uh, they lose their last pick, and now that's the Eagles? Yes. Okay. So the Eagles are now picking at 32. The Saints are picking at 19. Okay. So it'll it'll now be the Philadelphia Eagles at pick 32. Okay. Just want to make sure I had that had that written down right. Yep. 19. There we go. With the 19th pick, the New Orleans Saints select Bernhard Raymond, tackle out of Central Michigan, and a name out of Central Casting. My goodness. So this is the reason I think Detroit makes this the trade that they did. You got New Orleans, Pittsburgh, and a couple other teams coming up here that have the potential to trade up or sit at their pick to try and get a quarterback. That's why I think they made the trade. I think the Saints, if the Lions don't trade up, I think they take Desmond Ritter in a heartbeat. But since he's off the board, instead, I see them replacing Taron Armstead, who just got ridiculous Miami Dolphin money. I think he grades out as a left tackle, should develop very, very fast because he fits that you know high-paced offense that the Saints are pretty well known for. More important than that, the kid's raw. He's only been playing football for like three, four years. So, I mean, it, this is a bit of a new thing for him. So, Bernhard Raymond, pro comparison, I have him as Garrett Bowles, the tackle out of Denver. Think a very similar skill set, but a little bit quicker. So, fits the New Orleans Saints system, fits lead blocking for Alvin Kamara. Is he a true Taron Armstead replacement? Probably not. There's a reason they gave Taron Armstead $80 million. He is that good, but he is going to be a very solid tackle for them going forward. So pick 19, Bernhard Raymond, tackle Central Michigan. Got a couple of your favorite teams uh, coming We're up. Just, just let's get this over with for the next couple picks. <laughs> with the 20th pick in the draft, the Pittsburgh Steelers select Kenny Pickett quarterback out of pit. Now, this is a little bit of a surprise because I just said I think Malik Willis is the next best quarterback. This goes back to the Aiden Hutchinson thing. Pittsburgh just lost their icon in Big Ben. You lost Juju Smith-Schuster and all of his TikTok dancing. You have Najee Harris there. You've kind of started to build the offensive line back up. You still have a pretty good defense by all accounts over there, maybe getting a little old in some positions, but you're kind of in reach mode. If you try to address those positions here. So instead of worrying about any of that, why not take the hometown superstar? That's literally playing on your field on Saturdays as opposed to Sundays. 
I do have some concerns with Kenny Pickett, especially his hand size. I know that is the dumbest thing for scouts to be concerned about. I don't think it should dismiss him as a first round pick. But you can't deny the fact that the quarterbacks with smaller hands tend to drop the ball a lot more in cold, wintry conditions. Frankly, that's Pittsburgh. So I think he needs to work on that a little bit, maybe be one of those quarterbacks wearing a glove as he's on the field. I I compare him to Andy Dalton. That may not be the greatest (laughs) comparison nowadays. May not be the best comparison nowadays, but let's just call it as it is. Andy Dalton in the regular season, when he and A.J. Green were going punch for punch at their prime, that was a good one-two combo. I would, you can't you can't I, tell me I'm wrong on as, that one. As, now, a, it, as a former Rouds fan, I would love if I have another Andy Dalton in the division. I mean, I'm not going to complain about either, but also remember Andy Dalton for a lot of those games with the Browns, they were scoring like 40-plus points in those games. Yeah, not because of Andy Dalton. He was throwing the ball to A.J. Green, throwing it to Tyler Eifert. I could throw Eifert. the ball to A.J. Green. And he could throw it to Tyler Eifert. The point I'm getting at here, Kenny Pickett, hometown kid, I think he gets the nod over Malik Willis because of that. Having said that, it would not surprise me in the least if this pick is Malik Willis as well. I think Pittsburgh goes quarterback. It's just a matter of if they go hometown kid or Malik Willis. I think they go hometown kid. I I have something to say to you. Go ahead. With the first round pick. Matt. Who in the hell is Matt Cotman? Who in the hell is Matt Cotman? Matt. My neighbor has more credentials than Matt Cotman. And my neighbor's a postman. Of course your neighbor will have more credentials if he's a postman. He's got to get certified in things. <sighs> I stand by it. I like it. Let's go to pick 21. I also like it because it's the Steelers. And if it goes south, they really stink for a couple more years. That just brings me joy. I need a Browns fan. Pittsburgh and Baltimore stinking just brings me joy. With the 21st pick in the draft, Lance Morris's favorite team and quarterback, Mac Jones and the New England Patriots, select Sky Moore, wide receiver from Western Michigan. Why Sky Moore, you may ask? Well, one, everything about this feels wrong because it's the New England Patriots staying in the first round and drafting somebody. Everything about that feels wrong. This No part of it feels right. This could be another spot where a team trades up to go get like Malik Willis or something like that. Would not surprise me in the least. But this just feels wrong. Having said that, though, if they stay here, I actually have the comparison for Sky Moore is actually Julian Edelman. I think out of sheer happenstance of the type of player Sky Moore is, he actually becomes the perfect wide receiver and offensive weapon for New England. Does it turn them into an incredible offense overnight? No, not necessarily, but he's going to help. They're not going to magically turn Mac Jones into a 5,000-yard passer because no one can do that, but Sky Moore is a good fit for what New England likes to do with their receivers. So Sky Moore at 21 to the Patriots. 22, we have another one of our favorite teams in the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. Though I I think fearless leader Dan Kotnick will appreciate this pick, though. Go ahead and hit me. Mm. 
with the 22nd pick in the NFL draft, the Green Bay Packers select Trevor Penning, tackle out of Northern Iowa. Now, I'm sure people have seen the film on this guy. There's no secret. This is a bad man. He's a mean man. It's a man that enjoys blocking other human beings probably a little too much. Like, I'm actually, I'm not entirely sure if he's fully mentally stable. I'm just not. So in other words, he's a perfect lineman for the Packers. <laughs> it's, I mean, a little bit of cleanup on hand placement still, but the fact of the matter is, in terms of Trevor Pang playing at a smaller school in northern Iowa, he does have all the raw materials there to be an elite left tackle. I think if you look at him in his in their prime, I think he compares pretty favorably to a guy like Trent Brown as a tackle. But his actual pro comparison I have is a sane Richie Incognito. <laughs> it's it, if you take Rich Incognito, make him sane and not like a horrible human being, you have Trevor Petting, the way he plays the game. Okay. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep going and go to 23 for the Arizona Cardinals. I'm ready. Go ahead. With the 23rd pick of the draft, the Arizona Cardinals select Andrew Booth Jr., cornerback out of Clemson. I don't think Arizona needs to go quarterback. I really feel like Kyler Murray squashed all of that with his one of his most recent Instagrams or Snapchats or Twitters, whatever it was where he basically said he wants to win Super Bowls, plural, in Arizona. So I don't think he's going anywhere. With that being said, the Cardinals did not do a good job replacing Patrick Peterson. They kind of did it by committee, and it hasn't really committed well. So go ahead, go get yourself a good, solid, stable corner. That's the thing I like about Booth. He's not the flashiest player on the field. He's not going to blow anyone away by any means he is just a solid steady defensive back comparison i make it's gonna be one of your guys jc jackson i mean jc jackson yes he came on the scene strong this year with his interceptions but he's been a very steady defensive back throughout his career thus far that's why i think the chargers are getting a steal with him as their new first corner on the field. And I think Booth has that kind of ceiling. He really does. He's a very steady, stable type of player. I think he's going to pan out well for the Cardinals. I have to ask this at this point in the proceedings. Is Jermaine Johnson the second a joke to you? Is he a joke to me? Absolutely not. But I think people are going to worry about injury history and a little bit more of a flash in the pan kind of play. If you want my opinion, I think Jermaine Johnson may be one of the top two or three edge rushers in this draft by the time his career is done. So he's not a joke to me at all by any means. I just, I don't, I don't believe in the rise that I've been seeing with Jermaine Johnson, mainly because this draft in particular for me, the way I view it, you have your edge rushers at the top and then, To be fair, Arizona probably would be that range where I'd start to see edge rushers go again. All the teams in the middle have solid edge rushers already. They they just do. So it's Jermaine Johnson. He kind of gets the Aaron Rodgers effect. I think he's a very good player. I think he's a phenomenal player. 
But if he's not gone by pick two or three in this draft, I think he can fall all the way in the mid twenties again. So mm-hmm. let, let's let's just review, and we can we can go through. We'll go through some of the teams here real quick. Seattle, they still have very good defensive edge rushers. The Jets have a little bit of struggles, but they have much bigger needs with other positions like wide receiver and defensive back. The Washington commanders have an, a defensive line built by the gods when it's healthy. Minnesota's got Daniel Hunter. In this scenario, the Texans don't have extreme defensive edge rusher skills, but they have solid ones. The Ravens have the guy they drafted last year, plus Patrick Queen. The Eagles have good edge rushers. The Saints have Peyton Turner and Marcus Davenport. The Chargers have Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. The Steelers have TJ Watt. The Patriots have good edge rushers. And the Packers, they only lost to Darius Smith. They still had Preston Smith there. They also drafted Rashawn Gary to replace Darius Smith. So it's just a matter of it, for any of those teams to take Jermaine Johnson, it, that's a luxury pick. And you, those teams aren't really in the position to do luxury picks. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he went to Florida State. I know, I know. Lance pretending to be Todd. I know. <laughs> Let's just go to Dallas at 24. Dr. Jarrah. So with this pick, this one was a little bit of a challenge, but I decided to land with the 24th pick in the draft. The Dallas Cowboys select Nicobe Dean, linebacker from Georgia. And I'm going with this solely because Jerry Jones likes winners. And we talked about the players that had impacts on that great Georgia defense. Nicobe Dean, you could argue, was the biggest highlight maker on that defense throughout the season between him, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Quay Walker, and Trevon Walker. It's, I think Nicobe Dean may have been the most consistent out of all of them. The only reason Dean is not above Devin Lloyd in my opinion, is his height. He, he's an undersized linebacker and he didn't have the greatest combine in the world, but you know what? You watch him on tape. He is a sideline, the sideline defender. He just is. He, he's a Cato June. He's a Levante David. You want to just call it as it is another undersized linebacker that was much quicker and fell in the draft because of his size. Derek Brooks. I think that turned out well for Tampa. I think Nicobe Dean has that kind of potential. I think he is a complete package linebacker. That's what I was saying. I'm extremely high on this linebacker class. I truly am. And I think Nicobe Dean would be a great fit for Dallas because, you know, Van, Vander Esch, they put him, or Vander Lee or whatever his name is. You they put him on. Time. I, was I right? Van, Vander Esch? Yeah. They have him on a one year prove it deal once again. So it's one of those situations where I think Nicobe Dean could come in and make them not have to worry about him proving it. They got replaced Jalen Smith after letting him go last year. And I, I think he's just a better fit overall. So Nicobe Dean, pretty solid connection there with the Dallas Cowboys. I was going to ask you about Nicobe Dean right after Johnson. I'm glad I, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, no, it's the uh, Nicobe Dean is solely falling because he is not six foot one and above. That's it. it, it, it and it's, it, it turns it into the ridiculous meat market nonsense that is the NFL draft as well, that he's not a top 15 pick. 
25, the Buffalo Bills. Already ready for this one. Go ahead. With a 25th pick in the draft, the Buffalo Bills will be selecting Traylon Burks, wide receiver from Arkansas. Now, this could very easily be your Jermaine Johnson. This could also be Travis Jones from Connecticut. I just don't see them giving up on the D-line and Ed Oliver that easily to kind of reach for a guy like Travis Jones or to move Jermaine Johnson to the top of their wish list kind of situation. I think he'd be a good fit, but I think what they need even more is someone that can win the jump ball game besides Stefan Diggs. Take a little bit of the pressure off of Diggs in that offense. You got that great one game performance in the playoffs from that re- the other receiver on the team. But that's kind of just proves my point there. I do not remember that receiver's name. And he had an incredible postseason performance. Traylon Burks, he's big, he's fast. I don't know if he's necessarily the full package yet. I feel he was a little bit more of a one-hit wonder. But if you're drafting a number two wide receiver, you don't need him to be a once-in-a-generation player. You need him to be Darren Waller as a wide receiver. Big, a little bit of a bruiser, maybe someone that can take the top off if need be. But more important than that, just taking a little bit of the pressure off of Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen. And, I mean, he does have to replace, you know, uh, Cole, I don't know if science actually works. Beasley. And I think this is a better pick for the Bills overall. So Traylon Burks, wide receiver from Arkansas, going to the Bills. Yeah, because they need receiver help. Well, not they don't need it too much, but they do. It, it's the same situation as if you looked at Cleveland with trying to go with Odell Beckham. If you look at the Rams when they got Cooper Cup, but then they still had Robert Woods, and then they traded for a couple receivers as well, or still drafted Van Jefferson. It's if you can be two or three receivers deep in a pass happy system, it's going to work out for you. Case in point, the St. Louis Rams back when they won the Super Bowl, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, Ricky Pearl, those were three wide receiver ones in reality playing in that system. So Traylon Burks, good fit for the Bills. Tennessee Titans at number 26. Go ahead. And the caricature of Todd, your nightmare is over with the 26th pick in the draft. The Titans select Jermaine Johnson, the second from Florida state. It's about time. I know here's, this is where it becomes interesting. The Julio Jones trade didn't pan out. They could go wide receiver, but this wide receiver class is so ridiculously deep. Just a few names off the top here, George Pickens, Jalen Tolbert, Javion Hiley, John Mechie III, Justin Ross, and like four or five other guys are still out there. So instead of worrying about that, why not get the best true edge rusher that's still available, possibly in this draft, in Jermaine Johnson, who's, I mean, his 14 sacks was the best among the DNs in this draft last year. So... I look at him, I see Daniil Hunter, 
depending on how they use him. I also see Javon Curse. I think you could get another Javon Curse out of Jermaine Johnson in Tennessee. And we, we all know how well that worked for the Titans for all those years. So that that's where I go with them. I think Jermaine Johnson, if he's on the board, I am pretty sure Mike Vrabel sprints to the podium himself to turn that ticket in. And then we go to uh, to now your favorite, favorite team, Tampa Bay at 27. I mean, they've betrayed me a few times, but right now they're on the straight and narrow, and I respect that. So, yes, go ahead. With the 27th pick in the draft, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be selecting Zion Johnson, guard out of Boston College. So... For Tampa Bay, you got to replace two guards on that offensive line that really helped them win the Super Bowl in 2020. Got to replace an extremely underappreciated guard in Ali Marpet, who retired. And then you have to replace a moderately overrated one in Alex Kappa. They already traded for Shaq Mason. So there's one of the spots being there. You got to fill that out one. So that's where Zion Johnson comes in. Probably the best guard in the draft. Kenyon Green from Ole Miss probably, or Mississippi State probably being a close second on that one. But my thing that I love about Zion Johnson, he is a tackle at the college level. So if you need to, you can kick him out to tackle if Donovan Smith is struggling. You can keep him at guard on either side. The Bucks could go defensive lineman here as well. Again, Travis Jones, Logan Hall are some of the names that you hear coming up. Perry and Winfrey out of Oklahoma, another name to pay attention to for them. But they do have that second round pick, and I think one of those three will still be there in round two. Whereas for the offensive guard position and interior lineman position, once you get past Kenyon Green, it's a steep drop in terms of talent level. It's a pretty steep drop. So for me, you go with the best guard of the draft at Zion Johnson. Back to the Green Bay Packers at pick 28. Already ready. Go for it. With the 28th pick in the draft, the Green Bay Packers select Christian Watson, wide receiver, North Dakota State the small school band continues to play on in Wisconsin here. Watson, I, he has just been absolutely flying up draft boards for good reason too. 6'4", 205, sub 4'4", speed. Now, I know small schools like North Dakota State, even though they're not really that small of a school, I know that scares people because they don't really play against anybody. But the fact of the matter is you see on tape, he he can just be a great wide receiver and they're going to need speed downfield ability. They added Sammy Watkins. He's kind of that route runner that you get in the offense. So between the two of them, you almost replaced Devontae Adams. <laughs> like almost, it's almost there. It's, it takes two players to replace one, but I, I think Christian Watson could do good there. And more importantly, Whatever the quarterback position looks like for Green Bay going forward, if it is going to be Aaron Rodgers for that full length of the contract, if it's going to be Jordan Love at some point, if it's going to be anyone else in the near future, I think Watson 
I, I think his floor is still a wide receiver one. I think his ceiling is someone like Keenan Allen, that kind of receiver. But his floor is probably, I don't know, probably somewhere between like a Devonta Smith or uh, Allen Robinson type of player, which is still very good. So, yeah, again, I, I think Christian Watson's a good pick here at 28. Now we go to 29, and we have the Kansas City Chiefs for both 29 and 30. Yeah, I was saying, I'm just going to piggyback these two back-to-back here. Just go ahead and jump both of them in, so go ahead and hit me with the music. With the 29th and 30th picks in the draft, the Kansas City Chiefs select Kair Elam from Florida and Boy Mafi defensive end from Minnesota. So big thing you need to pay attention to here with Kansas city. I think they're one year away from blowing this whole thing up. I really are. You got rid of Tyree kill Tyrain Matthews still out there in free agency. You haven't brought any top tier players in at wide receiver for Patrick Mahomes. Juju Smith Schuster is not Tyree kill. He's just not. Sammy Watkins may have been like, okay, but Nicole Hardman didn't really replace him. And you make Hardman now, in theory, your number one wide receiver. I just don't think it's going to work. And I think you're seeing the repercussions of giving a quarterback a ridiculously sized contract and not having the money to go after other top tier talent. Just as simple as that. So with that being the case, I definitely could see them switching to a defensive minded set of skills Elam as a defensive back very very talented player very athletic got good speed only concern I have with him he probably needs to eat a sandwich or two Um, I have his pro comparison AJ Bouye I think it's very similar type of play style and demeanor so I, I could see that working out I do see a little bit of Janoris Jenkins not off the field but on the field with Elam as well, which could pan out well for the Chiefs. I pick 30. This is probably the guy that I'm most excited about besides Jermaine Johnson as an edge rusher. Boy Mafi, he's got a ceiling to him. I, I For me, I have his pro comparison, and this, this may be a little bit early, but coming from a school that gets a little bit underappreciated, very talented player, a lot of upside, can play the 3-4 or the 4-3. I view him as a DeMarcus Ware type of player as his career goes on. I, I, I think right now off the jump, he's very much in line with like a Jason Pierre Paul, someone who can be very athletic, use that athleticism to his advantage while he's still developing his skill set. But Mafi, you give him the ability, the chance to learn some power moves from a guy like Chris Jones in this defense to go along with that speed and edge rushing. I, I think he really could turn into something special. He really could. He is a project. Don't get me wrong, but he's a very close to finished project already. So for me, boy, Mafi, Kair Elam at 29 and 30. Okay. Okay. Moving along to 31 for the Cincinnati Bengals. So Cincinnati Bengals with this pick, go ahead and give me the music. They, they just commit highway robbery. It's not fair. This is thievery 
at its purest form. At pick 31, the Cincinnati Bengals select Tyler Linderbaum, center from Iowa. Tyler Linderbaum, Pro Football Focus has been doing this for a while now, grading college players. Tyler Linderbaum has had the highest grade for an interior offensive lineman in the history of Pro Football Focus. And he broke that record last year by having a 95 grade overall. He broke his own record when he did that, when he had a 93 grade his junior year. He, he is very much the top interior lineman in this draft. To be perfectly candid, you look at Tampa Bay at 27, they have a great center in Ryan Jensen. They have him signed for a three-year contract. This could very easily be, instead of Zion Johnson, Tyler Linderbaum as well. But I think you see Linderbaum stay at center. He goes to Cincinnati where he anchors that offensive line because I, I put him in the ranks of a guy like Alex Mack, you know, just a top-tier center. He's going to be able to block, be on par with young linemen like Quentin Nelson, Creed Humphrey, where th- there's really few scenarios where he's going to be a flop. Just as simple as that. Very few scenarios where he could be a flop. I think at his worst, he's going to be an above average center. And at his best, he's going to be top three in the league. So Joe Burrow gets offensive lineman help in free agency. They're going to draft Linderbaum at 31. And we are going to see what Joe Shiesty can do with an offensive line in front of him as well. Because he went to the Super Bowl with packing peanuts and like, caution tape as his offensive line this year. I am terrified to think what he can do with a line. Then to round out the first round because of the trade, it is now going to be the Eagles rather than the Lions. Correct. Now, to be fair, these picks based on the two teams that were in this trade, in theory, could be their picks if they stay pat as well. Because I think this player fits perfectly for Philadelphia. So go ahead. Final time for the music. With the last pick in the first round, the Philadelphia Eagles select Jalen Pitchery, defensive back out of Baylor. Eagles get a big haul with their trade with the Lions. And then they get the luxury of taking a very nice all-purpose defensive back at Jalen Pitchery, who he really can play anywhere. He was a safety in college. They're positioning him as a corner in the pros. But I think he could really play just about anywhere. He's very talented all across the board. He has a lot of potential. And the other thing with quarterback, you talk about quarterback, Philadelphia could in theory be in the play for quarterback as well if they're not sold on Jalen Hurts. I personally Pretty big Jalen Hurts fan. I don't think they go that route. This could also be a spot where teams trade in to try and get Malik Willis, Sam Howell, Carson Strong, Matt Coral. There's lots of people available that if you do want to go quarterback, you can trade up for it. Or if the Eagles want to stay pat, Jalen Pitchery, I have him comparing to Tyrae Matthew as a guy that can just play all over the field. Very solid pick and a good way to round out the first round. So I want to ask you about a couple guys that uh, didn't get selected in your mock draft, may or sure. not even be first-round picks anyway. Sure. Uh, but the big, the biggest name to me that 
uh, was not selected in your mock would be uh, the Purdue defensive uh, end, Carl I, for, I don't know exactly. How you George, George Carlaftis. Yes, him. What what it what could see what what could you see a reason for him to uh, fall possibly out of the first round? That he's specifically a four three end. He he is not going to be a three four linebacker in the NFL. It's his skill set is almost exclusively four three, which is fine. But the real problem becomes that he is a four three defensive end that is six foot four two sixty. He's he's just lean. I know that doesn't sound like he's lean, but he's lean. I, I, I see more Barcavius Mingo. I see more Dion Jordan with a player like Carl Aftis. And, and frankly, a lot of people tend to agree with that. If you look at mock drafts nowadays, Carl Aftis has been plummeting down boards as there's been more tape on him, more time to review him. So it's something where I, I think you see a trend happening. And there's reasons behind that trend for me. I think it's that he's too specialized as a player. That he comes from a defense that was not super successful, even though he had a decent year overall. And the the fact of the matter is, in big-time games, he kind of got the doors blown off of him more often than not. So I think he's a little too raw. A little too raw and a little too specialized. To be perfectly candid, he will be gone in the first 10 or 15 picks of round two. I don't think he free falls. I just think he ends up in the top half of round two versus the middle of the pack in round one. I know you've mentioned a little bit with the quarterbacks, but uh, you obviously had, you had Desmond Ritter going 18 and you had Pickett going 20 to the Steelers. So those were the only quarterbacks you had in the first round. Can you talk a little about them, who you sure. do like at at the best? Like, I know you said you liked Ritter. Is Ritter your top quarterback of this class, or how do you see that playing out? I, I think Ritter is the top quarterback overall. I think he's got the best ceiling. I also think that if you put him in the right position, he's going to be the most pro-ready off the jump because Luke Fickle does run a fairly pro-style offense. Um, having said that you you can never dismiss the type of athletic ability that Malik Willis has. I mean, you see it with Lamar Jackson, you see it with other quarterbacks in the league, like Kyler Murray. It's Malik Willis has a natural athletic ability about him. That's going to make him a good player. My problem with Malik Willis is just at Liberty when he didn't really have to play top tier elite teams. He regressed this year. So that's, well, once the lights were on him a little bit, he kind of took a step back. His pro day, he was outstanding. His The combine, he looked very good. Want to see that accuracy pick up a little bit, but he is making no mistakes. He's definitely a good quarterback. Um, my third quarterback is actually Carson Strawn out of Nevada. I, I think this kid is a phenomenal pocket passer. And the only reason he's not a top 10 pick is the NFL is desperately trying to move away from pocket passers trying to get people out of the pocket, trying to get them on the move, the RPOs, the options, all that stuff really coming back, plus the spread. Carson Strong just doesn't necessarily fit the modern NFL. Now, having said that, if you tell me a team like Tampa Bay or New Orleans or really even like a Minnesota where they do have more of a pocket-style quarterback play, 
that if you tell me that Carson Strong is their pick in round two, I'm not going to be surprised at all. Um, big one I'm not that impressed with, just to call it as it is, Sam Howe from North Carolina. I, I always thought that was weird that people were very high on him. I never really saw it with him in North Carolina. And then this year he really struggled. His running game was better than his passing game. That's never ideal for a quarterback in their final year. And then Matt Coral, I do like him. I, I think he's good. I just, I don't know if he's a product of the system at Ole Miss or if he is going to be a good all-purpose quarterback in the league. We'll, we'll find out. I think he ends up being probably the last out of those four to get drafted that I just mentioned, which could bode well for him. He could end up on a really good team because of that. So it, it, it really depends with those four where they end up. I don't think any of them are terrible. That's very important to note. I don't think, I don't think any of these quarterbacks are bad by any means. I just, when last year you had Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, you do not have that in this year's class. You just don't. It's, this is more in line with a, Dana, when you get a Ryan Tannehill, that's your win. If you get a, if you get a Derek Carr, that's a big win for you. Derek Carr before they started putting all the pieces around him where he was just good. Maybe not great. If you get a Kirk Cousins, that's a W in this quarterback class. So it's it's just there it's not really those top tier absolute elite of elite guys, but they could end up being very good. One guy I do have at least a semi question about, not as uh, not as big as the other guys. Um as we've mentioned, I watched a lot of Notre Dame this past season. Is there any way Jack Cohn is a relevant NFL quarterback in any way, shape, or form? I mean, certainly the rest of the league could go home every Sunday. <laughs> he could be very relevant at that point. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, I mean, from what I've seen from Cohn and watch him on tape, I give him a day three grade, um, a high day three grade, to be fair. It, th- the problem with Cohn... It's it's like looking at a pizza that's not cooked. <laughs> All the ingredients are there. They really are. And on their own, those ingredients tend to taste good. Pepperoni, delicious. Cheese, everyone likes cheese. Marinara sauce, great for dips, great for everything. Bread, who doesn't like bread? problem is during college when you tried putting them all together somehow you ended up with a turkey sandwich when you wanted a pizza and just didn't make sense so for me it it depends on where he goes i think if you give him time to develop i think if you let him learn behind such truthfully i think a place like green bay would be a phenomenal landing spot i think a place like denver would be a very good landing spot. You you look at quarterbacks that are very elite level quarterbacks, but are on the back end of their career where they are going to get two or three more years out of them before they have to hang it up potentially. But I, I think Cone could do well in those situations. I, I think Cone, when I had my grades put together for him, I think I had him grade out somewhere around Matt Schaub in terms of that type of play, which is it amazing? No, but Matt Schaub was a playoff winning quarterback and threw for 4,000 yards a couple times with the Texans with Andre Johnson. So it's, it's about situation with him. So for Cone, he could, he very well could become a 
quarterback in the NFL that can do something. It's a very narrow window of where he could land, where that'll happen, though. That, that's the only thing. If, if you're expecting him to come out right off the jump, you're going to end up with a turkey sandwich. If you want that nice, delicious pizza, though, that is Jack Cohn, got to let sit in the oven a little bit, make sure the ingredients are put on correctly. Because, granted, my feelings were certainly not as strong as uh, not as strong as Breeze, but and and yes, he did have some good moments, especially at Notre Dame this past season. But it just seemed like the offense was that much more one dimensional with Cone because of the fact he was not mobile really at all. Yeah, and and that's the thing. It's the the lack of mobility in college is an absolute deterrent. It's not as much of a deterrent in the pros because, yeah, he had Kieran Williams in his backfield with him. Can't really say he had too much of anything to really throw to, though, this year as well. You know what I mean? It's he, there, there, there was a lot of outlying circumstances around Notre Dame this year that may have impacted Cone. For me, it's always with Jack Cone that it was you would get multiple flashes of how good he could be. And then it would completely go sideways. And it wouldn't necessarily be entirely on him, but it would go sideways. Sometimes it was on him. So it, it's, it's possible. You, you find a system where they do enjoy a pocket passer. There's a few of them still there in the NFL. And I, I think he could do perfectly fine. I really do. It's just, you got to put him in the right system. That That's the key with any quarterback you have to put them in the right system if you're going to try and force them into a group that they don't fit in it's going to end in disaster but if you build the system around what they're good at they can be okay and i think that's the case with cone if he goes to a pocket passing team i think he'll be fine i will push back and say i think uh a year from now michael Mayer is going to be a top 60 pick and he's one of the guys cone had to throw to but we digress it's it's possible. <laughs> I, I, Michael Mayer is good. He is a good tight end. Point I'd get at, though, with that one, and the, my current draft, mock draft that I have here is an Indicare. How often do you see tight ends go round one, though? I mean, you got to be special. Exactly. Maybe Michael Mayer is special. I don't know if he is yet. We'll see on that one. He's got a good shot. I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty as, high as, on Michael As Mayer. someone who's watched him for two years... He's going to be playing on Sundays. Whether or not he's a superstar or not remains oh, to be seen. He, oh, he absolutely is going to play it. If, if you want to call it as is, again, I put grades and pro comps on all these players. I do have some on like some of the future players coming out. Uh, M- Mike, Michael Mayer, I, I mean, his his floor is Cameron Brayton. That's a very serviceable tight end in the NFL. Right. That, that That's a good floor to have. I think his ceiling is considerably higher than that but for a floor being Cameron Brait a good steady consistent tight end yeah I definitely th- I'm with you 100% he's absolutely going to play on Sundays is he going to play a lot and be the focal point of the offense jury's still out but he's definitely going to play on Sundays last thing I wanted to uh, ask you about and you actually kind of mentioned it with Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame. Kyron Williams, I'm sorry, yes. Um, I wanted to ask you about him and Kenneth Walker because, to me at least, they're the top two running backs. I know uh, Williams not rated as high by a lot of of scouts. I got to watch Kenneth Walker play. Granted, it was 
against Ohio State and didn't have a whole lot of a chance in that game. But uh, those are some of the top running backs coming out. And we know, of course, not as valued in the NFL today as in yesteryear. But what what do you think of uh, some of those guys and maybe some of the other running backs? I mean, I like Williams. I, I do like Williams. We'll start with we'll start with your dear Notre Dame guy on that one. I, I like him. He does remind me of some more of the every down backs that are in the NFL. I, I think when, when you watch his style of play, I think he can be pretty successful as a RB one for a team. The, the, the catch you run into right now is not too many teams need a running back number one at this point. We're actually in a pretty good era for running backs in the NFL when you really think about it. But I, I think he's got a pretty decent ceiling to him. Um, pr- probably on par with like a Leonard Fournette, you know, c- can be an every down back in the right system. Uh, Kenneth Walker, I'm very high on Kenneth Walker, but the only catch with him is he did it for three quarters of a year. Right. He, and he was amazing for that three quarters. Of, he was incredible. But as soon as people got tape on him and realized he's the only thing Michigan State had, they were able to shut him down pretty effectively. Um, But with him, though, I mean, it's the fact that he hits the home run ball so well. So for me, I actually, a guy that I mentioned earlier with the Vikings, I I think Dalvin Cook is a legitimate ceiling potential for Kenneth Walker. And I have three others I really am paying attention to, if you really want to. I think the safest running back pick is actually Brees Hall out of Iowa State. The guy's been steady and consistent for Matt Campbell for years. Matt Campbell runs a pro-style offense. Brees has been a big focal point of that. He's led the nation in rushing a couple times, or at least been in the top two or three for most of his career. I think he's a very safe pick. And I think with him, you end up with a like an Austin Eckler, a Javante Williams out of Denver, you're Josh Jacobs, maybe not the flashiest guy out there, but they're going to do good for you. Um, Isaiah Spiller, that was a name that everyone talked about coming into this draft. And he's just fallen off the face of the earth because Texas A&M fell off the face of the earth. Um, he's a guy with a lot of potential. He really is. He, he could be that kind of guy that you see as a mid to late round pick who suddenly comes on strong, kind of like a Chris Carson type of running back and then the third one for me that is starting to get some interest is ricard west out of arizona state easily responsible for one of the best photos of the ncaa season him hurdling a standing defender for arizona state incredible photo but turns out actually a pretty solid running back too a thousand yards he's progressed each year that he's been out there i i kind of view him in terms of what his potential could be probably in the same vein as Travis Etienne from last year for Jacksonville, obviously he got hurt. So we didn't get to see it, but that type of player, he's a burner. He's you give him the ball on the outside and he hits that hole. If he's in his own blocking scheme and there's a lane, the next thing that's stopping him is the back of the end zone, but he's got some potential. It's a good, just not great running back class this year. I, I think I think two or so years from now, when you have guys like Travion Henderson in that, you're going to be talking about first round running backs once again. But for this year, realistically, middle of round two is when we'll probably see our first running back off the board. I think it will be Brees Hall. But 
probably round two, round three is when you're going to see most of the running backs go. I, I see them kind of being bunched together where as soon as one goes, you're going to see a domino effect for the other top running backs getting drafted. So should be interesting to see, but Williams is definitely up there. I think he's a very talented running back should, should do well for himself at the pro level. Again, kind of like a Leonard Fournette can be an every down guy if they get him in the right situation. That'll just about do it for this very long edition of the show. Very long. <laughs> remember again. I'm tired. To, <laughs> remember again to rate, follow, review, do all the good things on your podcast platform of choice. Let us know you're out there. Of course, find us on Twitter as well. And uh, let us know uh, how many picks Matt is going to get right. And we'll see uh, We'll see how he does. And we'll uh, react to that next week. And we'll either uh, praise him or call him an idiot. I mean, we'll we'll see. Well, facts are facts. We could probably call me an idiot at the beginning already, but uh, here's what we say. Here's where I'll make the threshold. We could call me a complete buffoon and maybe dismiss the Matt McShay thing. If I get less than 10 of the picks, right? I feel like you're probably going to get less than 10 of the picks, right? I think, I'm, I think I'm going to get about 10 to 14. It would be great if you do, but even... Yeah. Even the Kuipers and McShays are lucky when they get like half of them right. Well, yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. If I'm lucky, I think I'm going to get 10 to 14. I think I'm going to be closer to, I feel really good about my top 10 personally. Like I had in particular, my top four, I think it's going to go Walker, Hutchinson, Iquanu, and Gardner. I really think that's going to be the case. The Giants start to become my wild card. Carolina is the big, big wild card. But that's, we'll see. And here's the only other caveat I will make. If I have properly prognosticated that the Lions trade with the Eagles at 18, <laughs> if I get that one right, I think if I get the rest of the draft wrong, <laughs> I get that one right, and they do take Desmond Ritter, I want kudos at that point. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like it, if that one, if that one thing happens or flip side of that, if Philly and Detroit still take their guys just at 18 and 32, I want kudos of that. I still got the players, right? Just not the number, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Should be fun. It should be a very entertaining draft this year. For Matt Common, this is Lance Morris signing off for this edition of Lance and Matt Plus. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day and enjoy draft weekend.